Hey there, everyone. This is Greg Shoots for ReadyForTheDraft.com, and this is the Ready for the Draft podcast, episode 33 of the 2020 podcast series, getting you ready for the NFL draft April 23rd through the 25th. That's right, we're just a week away before the Cincinnati Bengals will officially be on the clock. First ever virtual draft. We're in unprecedented times. Not only are we sheltering in place, but that also goes for each of the NFL franchises. War Room is really going to look differently for each of these teams. They're all going to be working virtual, so you're going to have a lot of phone conversations, a lot of FaceTime, a lot of Zoom, a lot of Skype. And really, all of the prospects will also be sheltering in place, so it's really going to be different. Once a guy is is drafted, he's not going to be able to jump on a plane and fly to a facility. So it's really going to be an interesting time to see how the NFL manages all of this. And really the coverage, by the way, ESPN, ABC, NFL Network, all covering the draft. What are their broadcasts going to look like? You know, the, the, again, unprecedented times. We don't have a stage. We don't have that beautiful black uh, backdrop of the Bellagio Fountains there in Las Vegas. What's going to happen with this draft? It's really going to be interesting. But look, I know that COVID-19 sheltering in place. I've talked about this with my, my last few podcasts. I want to continue to do the podcast. We're going to do this all the way up until the draft give you an outlet, a release, something that we can talk about and really enjoy together. Take our minds off of anything else that's happening in the world right now and just talk about the draft. So the last eight podcasts, I've really been dedicated to kind of a a roadshow, if you will, taking a look at each of the NFL franchises by division, breaking down what the rosters look like uh, with the, the free agency and what the team needs really look like after that and what a seven round mock draft might look like for each of the NFL franchises. So we, we covered every single division. The last division that we talked about was the AFC West. That was in episode 32. And now what we're going to do is really going to go position by position, take a look at where the, the the draft stock is for each of these players. Take a, little, a look a little bit at uh, the, the history of the positions in the NFL draft as well, because as much as covering the, the NFL draft is about this year's draft, it's also taking a look at back at, the, uh, at history and really try to predict based on what's happened previously, what we can kind of project will happen in 2020. So we're going to talk about the quarterbacks. We're going to talk about running backs today. So got a lot to cover, a lot of players here. So we're going to go ahead and jump right into things. When you talk about the quarterback position, uh, you know, a season ago, we had 11 quarterbacks taken, three of those in in the first round, Kyler Murray, Daniel Jones, Dwayne Haskins. Drew Locke was taken number 42 overall in round number two. He was expected to go in the first round, ultimately fell to to the second. And then after that, you know, Will Greer, Ryan Finley, and Jared Stidham taken in the first four rounds. Gardner Minshew was kind of that sleeper Minshew mania there for the Jacksonville Jaguars, taking number 178 overall. Uh, you know, when you look at, at the quarterback position, uh, you have 
you know, the, the last time we had fewer than three quarterbacks taken in round number one was 2015. We only had seven quarterbacks taken in that draft. If you recall, 2015 was the year that Jameis Winston and Marcus Mariota came off the board 1-2. Not a very deep, not a very strong quarterback class that year. Uh, following up with that, though, in, in 2016, I, I think the league was really desperate to find some quarterbacks, You know, bringing those in. You ended up with 15 quarterbacks taken and a lot of guys who are still on NFL rosters, not just the men at the top. You know, That's the draft with Jared Goff, Carson Wentz going one and two. Uh, Paxton Lynch ended up being a bust there for Denver at 26 overall. But uh, Jacoby Brissett taken in the third round. If you recall, that's also when Dak Prescott was drafted, number 135 overall uh, in the fourth round. Nate Sudfeld and, and Jake Rudock, a couple of backup quarterbacks there in round number six. So, you know, in, in 2016, 15 quarterbacks taken, three in round number one, six taken in, in the first three rounds. You know, in 2017, you know, very top-heavy quarterback draft, uh, Mitchell Trubisky, taken with the number two overall pick. You got Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson uh, going 10 and 12, respectively. The Chiefs and Texans both trading up to get their quarterback. And I think we're going to see that this year. We're going to talk about you know where Jordan Love, where I see Jordan Love going. And I think you're going to see a team that trades up into, into the draft uh, to ultimately land their quarterback. So 2018, you know, what's crazy is in 2018, you had five quarterbacks taken in round number one. And then after that, uh, just one in, in the third round. And then it was really backloaded after that uh, with seven quarterbacks taken you know, from the fourth round on. And obviously, you know, in 2018, five quarterbacks taken in round number one. Hadn't seen that before, especially with four quarterbacks also taken in the top 10. You know, I, I've heard all kinds of rumors and, and, and talk that there might be four quarterbacks taken in the top 10 of this year's draft. Let's not get carried away. You know, I, I, you know, we've got some good quarterbacks here, but I, I don't know that we would get into uh, four quarterbacks taken in, in the top 10. And really, when you look at the, the class, you have Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, Josh Allen, all starters for the respective franchises. Then there's Josh Rosen. Really, the, the, the question mark there, you know, is he ever going to be able to realize any of his potential? Um, and then... Lamar Jackson, the Ravens again, trading back into round number one to land him at number 32 overall, the reigning MVP. Uh, 2019, you know, I mentioned the three quarterbacks, you know, a total of 11 quarterbacks taken, just five in the first three rounds, um, and then six taken in, in rounds four, five, and six. Um, so 2020, what, are, what does that draft look like this year? And really, when you look at this draft class, to me, I think there are ultimately going to be four quarterbacks taken in round number one. And you're going to say, Greg, I took a look at your website and I saw, you know, on readyforthedraft.com, you only have three quarterbacks being taken in round number one. And that's true. But the, really, the biggest thing is, is I wanted to make sure that I got the, the team right with this. And, and Indianapolis does not have a first round pick. And I ultimately think that that's where Jordan Love is going to go. And I'm not going to predict any trades or anything like that in my mock draft. I think Jordan Love is going to end up going to Indianapolis, and that's ultimately where I had him penciled in. I think Chris Ballard got his defensive tackle, traded out of round number one. But I think what he's going to do is he's going to look at the quarterback position. He's got Phillip Rivers. And, and look, Phillip Rivers is not, not going to be the long-term answer for the Colts at, at the quarterback position. 
you know, a tremendous career, Hall of Fame worthy career there uh, with the San Diego and Los Angeles Chargers. He's moving on. And then you have uh, Jacoby Brissett. And Jacoby Brissett was a guy, look, you know, the team thought that he might be that franchise quarterback for them, especially after Andrew Luck abruptly retires. Uh, you know, Philip Rivers is only signed to a one-year deal, one-year, $25 million contract. J- uh, Jacoby Brissett, by the way, also a free agent at the end of the season. Colts need to figure out what they're going to do with their quarterback. And, and so I think Jordan Love makes a whole lot of sense. And, and so when I look at Jordan Love, I, this is a guy, I, I look at exactly how this is going to play out. The teams at the top of the draft, I don't see anyone looking to trade out of the first round. But what I do see, I see three teams sitting there at 18, 19, and 20 who have multiple picks in round number one. Miami sitting there at number 18. They've got three picks in round number one. They have uh, number five overall, 18, and 26. The Raiders, number 12 and number 19. And then the Jaguars uh, at number nine and number 20. Those are the teams. I think that's really where Chris Ballard is going to target trying to get back you know, into the first round to get their quarterback. And I think that's ultimately why Jordan Love is going to be in the first round conversation. Um, so if you're scoring at home with that, that would be four quarterbacks taken in round number one, which would be you know, the, the most since, since 2018. And then if you were to go back even further, when was the last time you had four quarterbacks taken in round number one? Well, you'd have to go all the way back to 2012, when you know the aforementioned Andrew Luck was taking number one overall, that was the same draft with RG3, Ryan Tannehill, and Brandon Whedon. So two out of the four quarterbacks taken in round number one of that draft are still in you know uh, were still in the league a season ago. I'm sorry, two seasons ago. Uh, and then Andrew Luck with the retirement, and uh, you know Ryan Tannehill. You saw what he's he's been able to do, resurrecting his career in Tennessee. Uh, RG3 is a backup, but you know in terms of his career. Um, you know, really derailed by injury more than anything else. Um, so I look at this, I think ultimately we're going to have 13 quarterbacks taken in the draft. And uh, I think after the first round, there could be a couple of quarterbacks sprinkled in the second and third round. We'll get into those quarterbacks. And then I think everything's going to kind of be backloaded at the, at the end of this draft. Um, so Joe Burrow, obviously going number one overall to the Bengals. Uh, much talked about, uh, you know, leading the the country in completion percentage, uh, passing yards, uh, QBR, um, you know, the touchdowns thrown, 60 touchdowns. I mean, it's just insane, you know, the video game type numbers that he and that offense um, put up. Joe Brady coming in, you know, Joe Brady's now in Carolina. You know, his offense, he's been able to showcase and show that he was able to get it done there as a coordinator, uh, bringing it in from from the Saints, and now he's in Carolina with Matt Rule. Uh, you know, and Teddy Bridgewater, he was able to work with him in New Orleans. Teddy Bridgewater is now the the quarterback there for the Panthers. So I look at Joe Burrow and number one overall. You know that, that I think that's really a no brainer at this point. He swept all the major awards, including that landslide victory in the Heisman. Um, a guy who look. You know, if Tua had been healthy without the hip, uh, you know, we'd potentially be talking about Tua as the number one overall prospect. But you know, the the performance that Joe Burrow had in 2019 um, was special. You know, and you can say, well, look, you know, the last quarterback that only had one true year of success in college 
that was taken in the top five was Mitchell Trubisky. And, and we all see what happened with him in, in Chicago. He hasn't been able to live up to that billing. But I'd argue you look at Joe Burrow and the development, you know, you, you don't just transition from being a low first, uh, I'm sorry, a, a late a day three pick or possibly a, a free agent to be in uh, the number one overall pick. There's no accident there. You know, it's not like you can just luck your way into it. You know, this is a guy who has the talent. Um, you know, his his intangibles are, are off the charts. This is a guy who knows where to go with the football, uh, makes all the right reads, sees the entire field, uh, you know, the anticipation, the ball placement, uh, the accuracy, uh, decision-making, makes the right decisions too. He knows where to go with the football, finds the open man, and then, look, he also knows when to pull the ball and take off and run. Doesn't do it on every down, but you know this was a guy who I, I think it was over 40% of his rushes led to a first down. So when you talk about that, to me, that you know that screams decision-making. He knows what he's doing out there. And I think you know with Cincinnati, Zach Taylor, a guy you know who is in the, the Sean McVay coaching tree, I want to see what he can do with, with Joe Burrow. And look, there are weapons there for him. He's got A.J. Green. He's got John Ross. He's got Tyler Boyd, Joe Mixon, the running back. I think they get him one or two more uh, weapons in the draft as well. I think they need to get him a tight end, another running back. Um, and we'll see what happens. You know, I think it's going to be fun, though, to see uh, Joe Burrow, what he can do uh, year one in the NFL. So number two on my list is, is Tua Tagovailoa, and look, you know Tua going to Miami, the tank for Tua at the beginning of the season. This is a guy who, again, had it not been for the injury, not had it not been for the hip, he could very well have been the number one overall pick. I mean, that's really what what we have to understand is is Tua another special player, and, and you know again the anticipation, the ball placement, um, throwing his receivers open. That was really the biggest thing. You know, when you've got speedsters like like Jerry Judy and Henry Ruggs III and uh, Devontae Smith and Jalen Waddle, you know, you have to, you know, when they get open, put the ball on them, you know, or or lead them and allow them to cut up the field and make plays after the catch without breaking stride. Tua was a master at that. You know, he's not the biggest guy, 6'1", 218 pounds, but you know, you look at the stats, you know, just under 70% completion percentage, over uh, 7,400 yards, and 87 touchdowns with just 11 interceptions. Um, you know, this was a guy, again, you know, his freshman year didn't play a ton. You know, so when you look at the stats, it's kind of, you know, really loaded in those, those sophomore and junior season. The junior year, he only played nine games. Freshman season, you know, the, the lights weren't too bright for him. He comes in uh, in the national title game against Georgia. They're down, and he ends up, willing that team to victory. And, and so to me, I, I think Tua, you, you take that franchise in Miami and the biggest concern obviously is going to be the durability. You know, I don't think there's any question about his, his, his playmaking ability, his, his, his play as a quarterback, the intangibles, everything's there. It's going to be those injuries and the injury history. You know, and I, I don't think it's so much even that, just that hip alone, the hip, is checking out the surgeons are coming out. ESPN reported two surgeons came out and said he's going to be ready by by training camp, and that everything's completely healed. That he's he's on the mend and that everything should be fine. Should make a full recovery. But not only does he have the the hip and the posterior wall injury there, he's also had two high ankle sprains where they had to do the the tightrope uh, surgery there. 
you know, invasive surgery, ultimately getting everything locked in place there with the bones for that high ankle sprain. And then he also sprained his knee against Missouri sliding. And really those things all happened while he was outside the pocket. Tua has to be able to stay within the confines of the pocket, can still manipulate the pocket like he does you know, so well, the subtle movements left or right, being able to step up when he needs to, find the alley and be able to let, let, let it fly and find his open receivers down the field. But man, you know, getting outside, rolling you know, outside the pocket, you know, that's really where it's nervous time. And so I think there are teams that are concerned and the Dolphins, they've been talking about how much they want Tua and now all of a sudden the tune has changed out there and they're saying, no, 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 Justin Herbert is the guy that Miami wants. I don't know that that's true. You know, you've been talking about Tua, 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 tank for Tua. Everything's been talking about Miami going Tua. And then all of a sudden you're going to throw that curveball in there. Justin Herbert? I just don't buy it. And here's the thing. Here's the reason why. Justin Herbert, Jordan Love, the other two quarterbacks that we're talking about in round number one, I think there are too many question marks. Way too many question marks for me to, to be comfortable taking him, taking either quarterback in the top five. Now, granted, the Chargers are sitting there number six. Um, you know, that, that doesn't really hold that argument too much. But, you know, there are question marks. And that's really the biggest thing that, that worries me. And I look back to 2018 and Josh Allen. Josh Allen was taking number seven overall. And I think that makes more sense for guys like like Justin Herbert and and Jordan Love, because um, he had some question marks to his game. Ended up being the number three quarterback taken in the draft, and so I think Tua still ends up going number five overall to Miami. Let's not overthink this. Let's not overcomplicate things. But you got to be able to take care of this kid. You got to make sure that he can stay healthy, and that's going to be the biggest question mark. Because look, RG three again taking number two overall by the Redskins. He looked like he was going to be an all world performer, but you know he he's a player that wanted to play outside the pocket. Injuries really derailed things. Cam Newton, his body's been wearing down because of all of his play outside of the pocket. So these guys have to really take care of their body and stay in that pocket, be a pocket, more of a pocket passer. I think Tua can do that. He doesn't have to be outside the pocket. This guy is dynamic enough to stay within the pocket and be able to make those throws down the field. That's really what I want to see from from him. And uh, I want to see it in in Miami. You know, we'll see what happens from there. Uh, Justin Herbert, again, Number six overall to the Chargers. I think he's the number three quarterback um, still at, at the end of the day. He's a big kid. He's 6'6", 230 pounds. And look, what he's done in Oregon for the four years, represented that university well, came in as a freshman and put up some major stats, uh, got injured, you know, battled injuries his first two seasons. So here's another quarterback with some injury concerns. But look, you know, 34 touchdowns, nine interceptions in those seasons while throwing for over uh, you know, 3,900 yards and uh, over 65% completion percentage. Um, you know, and then as a junior, kind of, you know, the numbers fell off a little bit. You know, 3,100 yards, 29 touchdowns, eight interceptions, but under 50% completion percentage in his first season under Mario Cristobal. And look, Mario Cristobal, what was interesting his senior year, he wanted to come back and really solidify his status because he could have come out into the draft in uh, in the 2019 draft and could have been a first-round quarterback. When I look at Justin Herbert in 2019, the offense wasn't revolving around him. He had more of a balanced offense. And what Mario Cristobal really established was a, a physical power running game. 
a stable of running backs, powerful offensive line. And Justin Herbert, look, you know, he had, you know, the, the luxury of having that the big arm and had some weapons on the outside. And look, the Ducks ultimately beat the, the Wisconsin Badgers after winning the Pac-12 conference and they win the Rose Bowl. So at the end of the day, when I look at Justin Herbert, there are a lot of things to like about the kid. You know, 95 touchdowns, just 23 interceptions, throwing for over 10,000 yards, 64% completion percentage, has the NFL arm, can make all the throws, can throw the ball from the from the near hash to the wide sideline, on a line, um, deep ball, accuracy. Um, you know, the biggest thing is, is look, you know, I'm not saying that he can't complete the intermediate throws. He can put the, the ball on the money, back shoulder throw away from the defender to the outside, along the sideline uh, for 15, 20 yards. Um, he can throw the wheel route, drop it in over, over the tight end shoulder, the running back shoulder. Um, but the concern is the consistency with that. Those intermediate routes tend to sail on him at times. And it's one of those things that touch being, you know, the other thing too is he wants to put the ball on the receiver's ball side hip. What's going to happen with that instead of leading them, leading the receiver, throwing them open, allowing the receiver to go get the football, attack the football in the air and not break stride is, is when you put it on that hip, where's the corner going to be? If you've got a crossing route, if you've got one of those in-breaking routes, corner's going to be right there on that ball side hip, and they're going to be able to make a play on the football. So, you know, some dangerous throws there from Justin Herbert. And then, you know, they talk about the the leadership qualities. I'm not worried about that. I'm not worried about that at all. You know, he's somebody who I think is a proven leader. You see what he's been able to do with the Ducks, and it's been well talked about what he's been able to, what he showed at the Senior Bowl and the Combine. Players love to play with this guy. And look, you know, the Ducks, it's not the first time they had an introvert there at Oregon. Marcus Mariota you know, came to, to Tennessee as a number two overall pick. You know, he did okay for himself, you know, his first few years. And it's, you know, with Justin Herbert, I think, getting to the Chargers, you know, playing with Keenan Allen and and Mike Williams. I think they're gonna look for some additional weapons for him there in the draft. Also a running back to replace Melvin Gordon. Austin Eckler's already there. Man, if they could get Jonathan Taylor, I think that'd be ideal. That would be awesome. Um, you know, and then get a couple of receivers. You know, I have them taking Quintez Cephas in round four, Isaiah, uh, Isaiah Coulter in round six. Give him those weapons. Hunter Henry at tight end. They franchise tagged him. Uh, I think that makes a whole lot of sense to me. I look at Justin Herbert. I see some comparisons with with Josh Allen. There are some question, you know, questionable accuracy at times, but there's no doubt that there is that playmaking ability. Look, he ran a four six eight forty and wasn't asked to really make a lot of throws down the field in that in that game against Wisconsin in that Rose Bowl. But he had three rushing touchdowns, leading them to victory. You know, so that athleticism absolutely comes into play. So moving on from Justin Herbert, we're going to take a look at Jordan Love as our next quarterback. And Jordan Love, look, tale of two seasons, right? 2018, uh, tremendous year under Matt Wells, over 3,500 yards, completes 64% of his passes, 32 touchdowns, six interceptions, um, had... A, a bevy of, of receivers to, to throw to had a thousand yard running back in Darwin Thompson, you know, played in the Super Bowl there with the Chiefs, had four all Mountain West Conference offensive linemen, and then 2019 happens. 
Matt Wells and his offense coordinator move on to Texas Tech. In comes Gary Anderson. He loses nine offensive starters. All four of those offensive linemen, yeah, gone. His top five wideouts, including Darwin Thompson, all gone. You know, and the production was was ridiculous. Over 2,300 yards uh, lost there. there. He only had one receiver that had 10-plus receptions. So when you talk about building rapport with your receivers, you saw that out of Josh Allen. That was really the big uh, big issue with Josh Allen a season ago, or a couple of seasons ago. And I, I said, you know, his stats weren't all that impressive, you know, from a, at least an accuracy standpoint. Um, as a sophomore, as a junior, you know, you saw it regress even further for Jordan Love, he had a tremendous 2018 and 2019, you know, just, you know, just under 62% completion percentage still had 3,400 yards, but 20 touchdowns and 17 interceptions. You know, the decision-making just really went out the window. You know, this is a guy who was a little, you know, he was rattled. He wasn't making the right decisions. He wasn't making the right reads and he was trying to force things, trying to do too much with all the talent that's around him. And I think he really needs to work on getting his confidence back, frankly. And so I look, look at Jordan Love and I think there are some skills there because look, you know, Justin Herbert, you know, he's a guy that just wouldn't let, let it rip. You know, he, he would wait too long uh, before he would actually get rid of the football and allow you know the defenders to recover, he'd have a wide open receiver and he would wait an extra count before you know not trusting his eyes, just you know waiting, th- over analyzing things. And by that point, the defenders already recovered. Just grip it and rip it. And Jordan Love, I think that's one of the things that I can really appreciate about him is that he does you know make sure that he's throwing the, the receiver open he has excellent touch to go with that tremendous arm and he has the athleticism i look at jordan love if i if he gets into indianapolis with chris ballard and company with an offensive line that's led by by quentin nelson you got uh ty hilton they're going to get another receiver to go along with him and uh, a running game that's I, I think you know underrated with marlon mack leading the way you know, I think it'll be interesting to see where Indianapolis falls. They get that franchise quarterback, though, uh, in round number one. Again, I think that makes a ton of sense. So after that, there are four quarterbacks that I think you could see potentially come off the board in round two or round three. I have them coming off the board in round four, um, and I have them all kind of bunched together. And that's Jacob Eason, Jake Fromm, Jalen Hurts, and uh, Anthony Gordon. And... You know, we'll talk. You know, really go in order of how I have them coming off the board in round four. And the first one is Jacob Eason at, uh, out of Washington, going to the Buccaneers. And look, the Bucks are going to need a future quarterback. You know, they have Ryan Griffin on the roster behind um, Tom Brady, Jalen Jameis Winston no longer there. Um, so yeah, once Tom Brady ultimately calls it a career. They're going to ha- need to have somebody on the roster that's ultimately going to take over the reins. But they're not going to take that, that guy in round one. And really, I don't think they're going to take it on the first day of the draft. I really don't. And, and the reason being is they need to win now with Tom Brady. Be all in with Tom Brady now. Get the offensive line, get the weapons, and then look at a quarterback after that. And I think Jacob Eason is a guy, some people have talked about him. Let's just stop with the first and, and second round consideration there for Jacob Eason. Let's not fall in love with the big arm. I remember Kyle Bowler, you know, years back, would drop to a knee, throw the ball 65-plus yards down the field. Everyone was enamored with this huge arm, but he couldn't complete passes. Under 60% completion percentage. And you saw what happened there with, with the Ravens, you know, a guy who really struggled to put everything together. And so when I, when I look at Eason, Georgia, 
you know, tremendous freshman year, um, still completed just 55% of his passes, but, you know, a guy that was leading Georgia um, as a true freshman gets injured in 2017. Jake Fromm comes in and the rest is history. Easton decides he's going to go, go back home. You know, he's from the Seattle area, moves to, to Washington, plays for the Huskies in 2019, ends up completing you know 64% of his passes, over 3,100 yards, uh, 23 touchdowns, eight interceptions. And yes, he does have a cannon for an arm. There are few players in this draft who can make the throws that Jacob Eason can throw. You know, All the throws in the route tree puts everything on a line, but that's the issue. Everything's a fastball with this guy. He throws it so hard, you know, he, he doesn't have any touch. The trajectory on it, it's always on a straight line. And yes, there are some throws where you need to put put the ball on a line to a receiver. But if you're trying to put it, let's say, over the linebacker in front of the safety and drop it into a receiver in, in zone coverage, you know, you're going to need to put some touch on that football. And I just don't see that out of Jacob Eason. You know, you see him overthrowing receivers, ball sailing left and right. And that's really the biggest concern that I have. For, for Eason, I think he needed another year of seizing there uh, you know, uh, at Washington. But look, you know, Chris Peterson retired. Jimmy Lake's in there as the head coach. They had some continuity there with the Huskies. But you know, Salvan Ahmed ultimately entered the draft. And uh, Aaron Fuller, Hunter Bryant, you know, some of his weapons were leaving as well. So you know, Jacob Eason entering the draft. I think Bruce Arians is looking for a big, strong-arm quarterback that he can mold. Jacob Eason fits that bill. I think Jake Fromm out of Georgia, we just mentioned him. And uh, Mr. Fromm, you know, at 6'2", 215 pounds, you know, not the most physically imposing quarterback, but it's the intangibles. It's what, what he has between the ears that is so impressive for me. You know, the pre-snap reads, I mean, he's making the checks at the lines, knows where to go with the football, reading defenses, blitzing linebacker over here. I'm going to put the ball right behind him on a slant. You know, understanding what the defenses are doing. And, and look, I think he has a better arm than people really give him credit for. Uh, the biggest issue is, you know, for him, honestly, was, was Georgia's offense was really designed for that running game. And he wasn't asked to, to you know, throw the ball down the field, um, you know, all that often, to be perfectly honest. Um, you know, I thought in 2018, what was his best year? Um, you know, I, I think we've heard that before, uh, you know, 67% completion percentage over 2,700 yards, 30 touchdowns, six interceptions. And, uh, in 2019, look, and again, you know, the more yards than he had in either of the other two seasons over 2,800, 24 touchdowns is five interceptions, but the completion percentage dropped to just under 61%. And there were some easy throws that he left out on the football field. And that, that's one of the things that's frustrating. You wonder if some of those throws, had he had a better arm, would he have been able to get some of those balls? Would he have been more accurate? And I look at the Patriots, though, and you talk about a guy who doesn't necessarily have all the physical skills, all the physical tools coming out of college. Um, you know, A guy, though, who is incredibly intelligent at the quarterback position. Sounds a lot like Tom Brady, right? Bill Belichick. You pair him up with a quarterback, a cerebral quarterback. They do have Jay, uh, Jarrett Stidham there in New England. Is there a chance that the Patriots can end up taking a quarterback in round number one? Sure. You know, could that be where, where Jordan Love falls? Absolutely. I think you know they'd have to at least consider it. It just doesn't feel like something that Bill Belichick would want to do. I think he would wait to take a quarterback to pair up with Jarrett Stidham, really have that quarterback uh, battle to see who's going to lead the Patriots in 2020. I just don't see it being a first-round quarterback. I just don't. Um, I could be wrong with that. You know, Bill Belichick really hasn't had to have uh, that decision, given the fact that Tom Brady, the GOAT, 
has been there for so many years. Um, but Jake Fromm, you know, a similar quarterback, I think, to Tom Brady. I'm not comparing him to Brady, but, you know, similar style, a quarterback. And I think it would be a, a nice fit there. Jalen Hurts, you know, look, you know, the this guy is, is so impressive. Um, you know, a, a guy, look, 6'1", 225 pounds, just solidly built. A kid who was a power lifter in high school, um, you know, and, and legendary there at OU, posting on social media after games in his football pants and, and pads, um, you know, just took his shoulder pads off and then went to work uh, in the gym. You know, this guy's a tireless worker and, and for three seasons there at Alabama, um, you know, he, he led Bama as a freshman and, you know, they, they won a, a national title. Um, you know, the biggest thing for me with, with, with Jalen Hurts is what he was able to do in, uh, I'm sorry, they didn't win the title, but um, in 2017, allowed Tua to ultimately take over as as the 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 quarterback there uh, in Tuscaloosa uh, when it all counted. You know, at the end of the end of the season, there you knew at some point Tua was going to be the guy. And Jalen Hurts ultimately acquiesced, allowed him to go ahead and take that job. Um, you know, 2018 was the starter, and he every step of the way he was dialed in, was locked in. He was there with Tua, and you saw him out on the field. Was always congrat. He was the first guy to meet Tua after a lot of the plays, a lot of the touchdown, a lot of the big plays. Um, and then when he needed to, when they were, you know, he was called upon in that SEC championship. Georgia's down, Tua's out with an injury. What does he do? Jalen Hurts leads Bama to victory. So what happens in 2019? Grad transfer, Jalen Hurts goes to Oklahoma. Lincoln Riley, the quarterback whisperer, back-to-back Heisman Trophy winners. What does Jalen Hurts do? He finally becomes that, that Heisman finalist. Second, you know, uh, second to, to Joe Burrow in the Heisman voting. Um, and, and you look at the numbers, man. You know, just under 70% completion percentage, 3,800 yards passing, 32 touchdowns, 8 interceptions, also rushed for just under 1,300 yards and 20 touchdowns. Dynamic, dynamic season. And he was unlike anything that Lincoln Riley had before. He was a power runner. He was more like a Cam Newton than a Lamar Jackson or anything like that when you compare him. Um but look, I look at Jalen Hurts, and I think he still has a long way to go at the quarterback position. I think Lincoln Riley's done a lot to develop him um, because really he was more of a an athlete, a guy that was going to run around outside the pocket. And really, Alabama's offense allowed him to make plays down the field. Look, you know, in 2017, you know, Jalen Hurts, when he was the the captain of that that offense, threw for 17 touchdowns, just one interception. So a lot of you know correct decisions that were made there in the Bama offense. But look, he was also playing with you know some some tremendous talent there with the Crimson Tide. And I'm not saying that he didn't there at Oklahoma, but essentially what you saw out of him was one read and go for for much of the season. If my number one option was not open, I'm pulling the ball and I'm looking to run. You saw that especially in the in the FAU game and the UCLA game to start out the year. As it went on, though, here's the thing with, with Jalen Hurts. You know, you saw the development. You saw him, you know, continuing to read defenses, to look down the field, going through some progressions, and seeing the field, you know, hitting his, you know, the secondary or tertiary receiver. Um 
making some of the right decisions, knowing when to pull the ball and run. And I, I thought that was one of the things that was really fun to watch. You know, I live in, in Oklahoma, so being able to watch every single game that he played in uh, the Crimson and Cream, that was really you know a lot of fun to watch. And to have you know him revered by both schools. Alabama loves this guy. They were pulling for him there at OU. And then the same thing at OU, he shows up different kind of leader. He's not the outspoken leader like, like Baker Mayfield, um, you know, Kyler Murray, really soft-spoken Jalen hurts. Look, man, this guy, he was a, he was not only a, a lead by example, but he, he's not afraid to step in front of the mic and, and offer up some of that criticism. You know, Hey man, we just, we didn't play well, you know, and he's not afraid to, um, you know, he was always, you know, it seemed like he was always hard on himself. We can be better. We can always be better. We can be doing things better. And, and that's one of the things that I appreciate about Jalen Hurts. But look, at the next level, he still has a ways to go. You know, this is a guy, he needs to see the entire field. He needs to make sure that, uh, you know, that 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 arm, you know, the, the throws, that, you know, the ball placement, some of the anticipation doesn't always uh, throw with great anticipation. He's going to have to work on that. Some of his receivers, that offense, they were running wide open. So he was hitting hitting a lot of wide open receivers, allowing to buy time with his legs. Receiver comes three and he's hitting a wide open target. Not always going to be able to do that at the next level. So that's one of the things I think Jalen Hurts is going to need some development. And I look at Minnesota. They've got Kirk Cousins in there for another two seasons. But after that, is he going to be the, that franchise quarterback for the Minnesota Vikings? I just, I don't know that, that he is. I don't know that he's the answer. And I think Jalen Hurts needs a couple of years of seasoning. Minnesota could bring him in as the backup. And then after Kirk Cousins' contract is up, you may see Jalen Hurts as the starting quarterback of the Minnesota Vikings. Just saying. I think he can fit. And then at the end of round number four, I've got the Eagles taking Anthony Gordon. They're trying to capture lightning in a bottle again. Minshew mania going to the Jaguars at round six. You know, you had Nick Foles. Didn't really work out. So Gardner Minshew stepped in, and you saw what he's been able to do with the Jaguars. Anthony Gordon, look, he's another Mike Leach product, and a guy who has a quick release, tremendous accuracy, over 5,500 yards passing, just uh, you know, right around 70% completion percentage. And uh, I think he's somebody, look, Carson Wentz can't stay healthy. You've got Nate Sudfeld there as his backup. I think they need to bring in another quarterback. They really don't have anyone behind him. Um Allow somebody to come in and challenge Nate Subfeld for that backup position, that backup role, because Carson Wentz, can he stay healthy? There's no 100% guarantee, so he has to be ready in the event he does go down. So then we transition to the the quarterbacks, like I said, that, that we're really going to be on the back end of the draft. And, and I look at a guy like Nate Stanley. I think he's really the next in line. You know, if you saw what he did at Iowa, you know, look, this is a big kid, 6'4", 245 pounds. He has a, a big arm, can make all the throws that you want. And, uh, you know, the, the stats, sure. I mean, at Iowa, you know, he, he, he played well. You know, three seasons as a starter, um, under 50, 60% completion percentage. I worry about that. But over 8,200 yards passing, 68 touchdowns, 23 interceptions. Um the biggest thing for him is is the consistency. You know, he, he's a guy. His downfield accuracy was suspect at times. You know, and if you put on film against USC in the Holiday Bowl, you'll be like, "Wow, you know, I, I did not see that in that game." He was precise. He was accurate, and he was making throws all over the field, hitting wide open receivers, uh, throwing receivers open, and making all the right decisions. It just didn't happen 
on a consistent basis. And that's what I worry for Nate Stanley. That's really the biggest thing. And so I think he falls to round, to, I have round six. And I'm looking at the Lions. You've got Matthew Stafford there. Um, you know, his, his backup's going to be Chase Daniel. I just, I look at a, a big, strong arm quarterback um, to back up Stafford. You know, Stafford got a clean bill of health with his back. And, uh, you know, Chase Daniel, I think that'd be a nice backup to learn from. David Blau filled in nicely for um, for Matthew Stafford a, a season ago. And so I think you have something potentially there with David Blau. But you bring in Nate Stanley, battle with Blau. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think that you're necessarily, you know, Chase Daniel is a guy who's, um, you know, he's over 30 years of age. How long is, is he really going to be there on the roster? Um, you know, Daniel signed through 2022, three-year, $13 million contract. And yeah, he's 33 years of age. So, you know, that's going to be a question mark, you know, in terms of he'll be the backup and, and allow Stanley to really learn from him for a couple of years. And then after that, let's see what happens. Uh, you know, James Morgan out of FIU, a quarterback that people aren't really talking about, but uh, I have him penciled going into the to the Chicago Bears in round number six. And the reason being is, you know, the Bears really don't know what they've got, you know, really what's going to be happening with um, Mitchell Trubisky. They brought in Nick Foles and then Tyler Bray. I think they need that third quarterback, the third option, um, you know, Trubisky questionable, you know, Nick Foles didn't really work out there in Jacksonville. Um is he going to be, uh, you know, can he really return to his Super Bowl uh, type form? And there's a big if, there's a big question mark there. And I think, you know, the model of efficiency was James Morgan there this last year at FIU. You know, he was a transfer from Bowling Green, uh, struggled mightily there, um, but moved on. And uh, at FIU this past season, Struggled, you know, a little bit from a completion percentage standpoint, but um, over 2,500 yards passing, 14 touchdowns, five interceptions. Look, 2018 was his best year. Uh, 65% completion percentage, uh, 26 touchdowns, seven interceptions, and a guy who, you know, I, I think he has a quick release. I think he sees the field, you know, sees everything down the football field. And I, I just, I like him as a quarterback. I think he has the, the right makeup to be a quarterback at the next level. And so I, I think he'll end up making the roster and will challenge for a backup in a, in a couple of years. In round seven, you know, I look at the Jacksonville Jaguars and now that Nick Foles is off the roster, I think they're going to need to find another quarterback. You know, yes, Minshew Mania is there. But uh, I think you need to find a quarterback there to, to really put on the roster. The only other quarterback there is Josh Dobbs. So you know Jacksonville has to find a quarterback at some point. And the guy that I'm looking for uh, with them is, is Tyler Huntley out of Utah. And the thing for him, his game isn't going to be the big arm throwing the ball down the field, you know, 60, 70 plus yards. It's his athleticism. And that's really what uh, is impressive about him is he's a guy that can make plays uh, with his feet by time. And, uh, you know, showed a, a really an ability to understand the offense there at Utah and was extremely, uh, extremely productive and extremely efficient. 73% completion percentage for over 3,000 yards, 19 touchdowns, just four interceptions. And look, on the ground, this guy ran for over 1,100 yards and 16 touchdowns in his career with the Utes. I think he's worthy of a, of a seventh round selection. Look, he wasn't invited to the combine, but that's okay. You know, I, I still think he's a guy that can end up getting drafted there uh, on in round seven. And then another guy to really keep an eye on is, is Josh Love out of San Jose State. This is a guy that I watched 
play for the Spartans. And the more I watched him play, 6'2", 205, not the biggest guy, but he had a really, really strong arm. You know, the ball jumps off his hand, really a quick release, and really had command of that offense. You know, over 3,900 yards passing for the Spartans, 22 touchdowns, eight interceptions on the year. And look, you know, the Spartans not really known to be that that juggernaut, that powerhouse uh, in college football. But you you look at, at what he was able to do. You know, he threw for over 300 yards, let's see, on, on a couple of occasions, but then it was the 400-yard games. He had, you know, threw for over 400 yards in that upset victory over Arkansas, 49-32, um, threw for over 400 yards against New Mexico, Nevada, and and again against Boise State. You know, really had a, a nice, uh, solid game there. Struggled from an accuracy standpoint, and that's really, I think, was kind of the difference there against Boise State. Uh, 53-29 was the final but uh, you know, then he he also throws for for 400 yards against uh, UNLV, three touchdowns with four interceptions. Really, you know, shakiest uh, game in terms of his accuracy. Um, throwing the ball to to Rebels, you know, as much as he was throwing the ball to uh, uh, to Spartan receivers. But I think he has that makeup, a guy that I think can last as a as a backup, as a third quarterback potentially on an NFL roster. And uh, I, I'm looking at. Josh Love coming to the to the Packers. I think you know Aaron Rodgers isn't going anywhere as as a quarterback. You know, so you know we can, you know, that's not why I'm, I'm penciling him in there. But you look at the guys behind him. He's got Tim Boyle and Manny Wilkins as backup quarterbacks. I think Josh Love can come in there and challenge for the backup role and could potentially win that backup role. I think he has enough ability there to be able to do that. And then Cole McDonald, I have him as the last quarterback coming off the board, going to the Titans, be a backup there for for Ryan Tannehill. And look, you know, Cole McDonald was a guy out of Hawaii, a lot of hype coming into the season, you know, over 3,800 yards passing, you know, 36 touchdowns, 10 interceptions, some big, uh, big throws, you know, four or 500 yards passing days. And then you look to 2019, shows up on the field against Arizona and throws four interceptions in his first game, gets benched in favor of the freshman, Chevin Cordero. And uh, look, this guy really, you know, eight of his uh, 14 interceptions were thrown in the first, you know, four or five games. Um, when it really counted in, you know, in Mountain West Conference play, you know, he really stepped up and really played well and led Hawaii to, uh, led, led them to, a victory ultimately led him to the Mountain West Conference Championship game and then to a bowl game victory. You know, they ended up losing to Boise State in the, the Mountain West Championship, but redeemed themselves with that, that bowl victory. And look, threw for over 4,100 yards, 33 touchdowns, the 14 interceptions. But you know, the way that he ended his season was really what what you want to talk about more than anything else. And uh, I, I think that's the thing that makes Cole McDonald a draft-eligible prospect is his ability to you know, continue to develop throughout the year. And, and I think that's one of the things. He didn't regress. He didn't really fall into a hole. He didn't fall off the planet and ultimately have a freshman take over his job. No, he ultimately rebounded. And if you go back and look at things, you know, he had, you know, let's see, Four interceptions against Arizona, another three against Washington. So his biggest team, you know, the biggest competition, seven interceptions against those teams. So yes, you know, that, that is cause for, for some concern. But uh, after that, um, let's see, his last, oh, 10 games only throws for 
five interceptions, but ends up completing, throwing for 20 touchdowns. So 20 touchdowns, just five interceptions in those last 10 games. So a guy who was able to turn it around, turn things around, and really what you were able to do there with Hawaii was they were able to ride things with him. And so I I think he is draft eligible. The one thing, or draft worthy, I should say, the one thing that I do have concern for with him is this kind of looping delivery. And he he needs to shorten that delivery. That wind-up is just going to be cause for concern. You have to have a quicker release at the next level. But Tannehill, Logan Woodside, they need another quarterback in that in that QB room, and I think it's going to end up being Cole McDonald. So those are my quarterbacks. You know, if you're scoring at home, that's 13 quarterbacks taken in the draft. Uh, you know, according to to my mock draft and really what I'm looking at with with the quarterback position. You know, other quarterbacks to to garner some consideration um, could end up in in the back half of the draft potentially be priority free agents. Um, I, I think you've got to look at Brian Lewerke out of Michigan State. Uh, a guy who, you know, the completion percentage is scary. Also threw 47 touchdowns, 32 interceptions. Uh, that's a cause for concern, but very athletic um, there for, for the, the Michigan State Spartans. I think Jake Luton out of Oregon State, really an underrated player, uh, 6'6", 230 pounds, big quarterback, um, you know, a transfer from Idaho, played three seasons there for the Beavers. And uh, look, you know, 42 touchdowns, 11 interceptions, over 62% completion percentage. You know, the biggest thing was was injuries more than anything else. I think derailed some of the momentum that he had. Uh, Steven Montez uh, at Colorado playing in Boulder. Um, look, you know, he played for more than one quarterback. Or I'm sorry, more than one head coach there. Uh, 63 touchdowns, 33 interceptions, 62% completion percentage, over 9,700 yards. Um, you know, he stepped in as a starter when Sefo Lufau went down as a, a, a redshirt freshman. Um, athletic kid, you know, 960 yards on the ground, 11 touchdowns. I just, the consistency is what worries me. You know, you watch him at the combine, he throws a a couple of decent throws, and then, you know, some terrible throws. And and that's the thing that you really saw. That was the story for for Colorado and why they couldn't really gain any momentum in the Pac-12 conference was Steven Montez was shaky there at at the quarterback position. So I, I think... He could end up getting drafted. I had him penciled in as, as being a drafted quarterback at one point. And, uh, you know, I, I just think there's too many inconsistencies to his game. But I do think he'll end up getting a chance as a priority free agent. Then there's Kelly Bryan out of Missouri. Um, you know, a guy, look, again, you know, over 1,200 yards on the ground in his career, 17 touchdowns, tremendous athlete, has a strong arm. Um, you know, he was able to showcase that at Clemson, but ultimately lost his job to Trevor Lawrence, transferred to Missouri. And, uh, you know, look, you know, played in 10 games there with the Tigers um, and just really couldn't gain any of that momentum that he lost, you know, after tran- you know, transferring from Clemson. Um, I-, I think he's, he's a big kid. He's, over, you know, he's 6'3", 6'4". Um, I think he'll, he'll get a shot at the next level as well. Um, so that's the quarterbacks. We're going to transition to the running back position. And uh, when you talk running backs – and, uh, you know, a season ago, only one running back taken in round number one. And that's really the big story. How many running backs are going to be taken in round number one? Um, you know, for a time there, we didn't have any running backs uh, taken in the first round. And really, that was because the game was changing. You know, 2014, zero running backs taken in the first round. Um, and, 
you know, that was a draft that Carlos Hyde, I think was the, um, you know, Devontae Freeman was taken in the fourth round. Um, top court, uh, running back taken in that draft actually was Bishop Sankey uh, at number 54 overall in the second round. Um, so since then, though, uh, you've had quite a few running backs taken in round number one. Um, let's see. Nine running backs taken in the first round, 2015 through 2019. And uh, last season it was Josh Jacobs, but a lot of a lot of running backs, a lot of running back depth a season ago. Miles Sanders, productive there for Philadelphia. Daryl Henderson should have more of an impact with the Rams now that Todd Gurley's gone. Uh, David Montgomery should be the starter there in Chicago. Devin Singletary doing his thing with the Bills. Um, you know, Damian Harris. Should get more playing time there in New England. Um, Alexander Madison showed that he could he could fill in for Dalvin Cook there in Minnesota. Uh, Justice Hill got some playing time in Baltimore. Benny Snell same same thing in Pittsburgh. Uh, so there are some court some running backs out there. Ty, uh, Ty Johnson got to play a little bit there for for Detroit. Um, Darwin Thompson was a sixth round pick. So you can go all the way down this list. Even Miles Gaskin, number two thirty four overall, got playing time with the Dolphins. So a draft class that you know I, I'm I was pretty impressed with overall with its depth. 25 running backs taken. And I'm looking at this this draft this year, and I think it's a real top-heavy draft. I, I really have I only have one running back going in round number one, and I think that's more so because you have depth at a lot of other positions as well. But I've got in rounds um two, three, and four, I have eleven running backs coming off the board. And uh, that's the highest since 2017, when there were 13 in those three in those three rounds. Um, now I only have 19 running backs that I actually think will be drafted. That's the lowest number since 2016. So when you talk about the draft class itself, you're like, wow. I thought you said that there was depth to this draft class. Why are, why is this the lowest number? But I think it's more quality than quantity when you're talking about this running back class. And, uh, you know, it all starts with DeAndre Swift and Jonathan Taylor. To me, I have Jonathan Taylor as my number one running back, DeAndre Swift number two. Um, but I think DeAndre Swift, um, because of his versatility and, you know, a guy who's already proven to be a pass catcher, I think he'll end up being the guy that's drafted in the first round. He's more NFL ready as a, as a workhorse, um, if you will, a guy that can be that third down bat or that three down back. And, uh, you know, with Swift, I have him going to, to the Dolphins at, at number 26 overall. Look, the Dolphins need a running back. I mean, they've got Kalen Balage, They've got uh, Miles Gaskin as their, their top returning running backs. Jordan Howard was brought in, but I think he's a guy who's going to be more of a complimentary back. They need to have a guy who's going to be the, the playmaker, and I think that's going to be DeAndre Swift. Now, look, back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons, I, I think with Swift, there isn't a whole lot of wear on his legs because he's shared the backfield with running backs his entire career. Share the backfield with Nick Chubb. Share the backfield with Sony Michelle. Share the backfield with uh, with Elijah Holyfield and now Brian Harrion, uh, you know, Zamir White. You know, the list goes on and on. A lot of running backs there, really a stable there at Georgia, and he was still able to uh, really set himself apart as the top-rated running back in this year's draft on a lot of people's boards. And so I think that really speaks to his character as well, that he didn't allow that to really um, mess with him. It was more so, hey, you know what? I'm going to shine when it when I have the ball in my hands. And uh, you know, 20 touchdowns on the ground, 
uh, just under you know 2,900 yards as well, 73 receptions in his career with the Bulldogs. Um, you know, I, I really like what his skill set, what he brings to the table. His lateral agility is something that you really have to talk about as well. Can put his foot in the ground, make cuts up the field without really losing any momentum. Ran a 4-4-8-40 at the combine, 5-8-2-12. Um, so he's powerfully built as well. Dolphins makes, you know, I think that's a, a perfect match. So then you transition to round number two and check this out. Jonathan Taylor, Wisconsin running back, going to the Chargers in round two. You lose a Wisconsin running back in Melvin Gordon. You gain a, run, a Wisconsin running back in Jonathan Taylor. Yes, you re-sign Austin Eckler, but look, Austin Eckler is not going to be a guy who's going to be that every down back. You know, I think he, he needs to be more of a complimentary guy. And uh, you bring in Jonathan Taylor. Look, 5'10", 226 pounds. We knew he was fast around that 10, 400 meter you know, speed in high school shows up at the combine runs a four, three, nine, 40, 36 inch vertical leap. So he's got some lower body explosiveness. And then you're looking at him going, well, he's a big dude, but can he, can he make those cuts? You know, is he, is he quick laterally and a 701 three cone drill? And when you talk about the three cone drill, you know, that's going to really showcase a guy being able to sink his hips and being able to make those cuts uh, and that was the fourth fastest. And, and this is a guy who, he was the biggest of those running backs um, that completed the, the three cone drill that, you know, in terms of the top four, he was the biggest running back, you know, 226 pounds and being able to do, uh, to do that. I, to me just says, this is a guy who has the athleticism to make those plays. And look, he burst onto the, onto the, the scene there in Madison and took the, the college football world by storm. Almost 2,000 yards. Look, he was 23 yards shy from having three year, three straight seasons with over 2,000 yards. That's never been done in the FBS. He's one of only two running backs with back-to-back 2,000-yard seasons. And that was just him and Troy Davis, if you remember him from the 90s at Iowa State. Incredible. I mean, incredible with the production. 52 I'm sorry, 50 uh, touchdowns on the ground as well. You know, and one of the things, you know, Melvin Gordon wasn't known as a, as a pass catcher in his time at Wisconsin. Jonathan Taylor, look, you know, he only had 16 receptions in his first two seasons combined, had 26 in 2019, really wanted to showcase him as a pass catcher. And he looked to be one of the more comfortable, if not the most comfortable pass catcher at the combine. Really fluid, you know, soft hands, securing the football before getting up the field. Looked like he really worked on his hands. And that really gives me the confidence there for Jonathan Taylor. And that's why I have him penciled in as my number one quarterback. I think he has the highly, highest ceiling of any of the running backs in this draft class. And, and he's a guy, he has the physicality, he runs you over. You see the, the, the vision and the patience. Waits for his line to, to set up their blocks um, and once he, once they're locked on, he looks for that cutback lane. Once he sees it, puts his foot in the ground, no wasted movement, cuts up the field without wasting any, you know, losing any speed. And once he gets into the open field, he can make you miss. He'll run you over and then he'll run by you. So to me, I look at Jonathan Taylor, the biggest issue, the reason why he's not a number one running or the uh, first round running back, I think at the end of the day is going to be the, the 18 fumbles, and 15 fumbles lost in his career. That's the biggest concern more than anything else with Jonathan Taylor is the ball security. Um, you know, I, I think if he can hold on to the football at the next level, he's got star potential, in my opinion. After that, 
I've got two other running backs coming off the board in round two. Um, I was trying to see you know if I could potentially fit Clyde Edwards-Alaire in there. I like I really like Clyde Edwards-Alaire. I think he's that little bowling ball, that Maurice Jones-Drew type player. Could he go to the Buccaneers? Could he go to the Rams in round number two? I think it's entirely possible. I actually have J.K. Dobbins going to the Buccaneers, and the reason being is look, J.K. Dobbins, um, very versatile running back as well. Um, what he's able to do at Ohio State, burst onto the scene, shared the backfield with Mike Weber, and rushed for over 1,400 yards as a true freshman. Just really showing you what he could do. Went over 2,000 yards in 2019. And again, another guy who has that shiftiness, that lateral uh, agility, being able to to set his, you know, and what I really appreciate about him is that when he's setting somebody up in the open field, he's setting a guy up from seven, eight yards away. And some subtle movements, a head fake, uh, and being able to cut, stop on a dime and cut back the other direction. Look, man, those linebackers and DBs don't have any chance. Uh, and then the 71 receptions, soft hands, um, a, a guy who I thought was really a weapon there for uh, Justin Fields this past season, especially. Um, and, you know, showed up at the combine, didn't run the 40, but did put up 225, 23 times, one of the stronger running backs in the draft class. Um, has shorter arms, but you know, that's really not going to come into play too much, you know, and, and he actually has a pretty good stiff arm as well. Five, nine, two Oh nine. I think JK Dobbins number three running back in this draft class. So I think the Rams sitting there in the second round, their first pick, um, they, they released Todd Gurley, kind of a, a salary dump, if you will. Um, also, you know, really has never returned to form after the knee issues and, uh, they could go Clyde Edwards, a here, but I'm actually going in a different direction. I'm going cam acres to the Rams and cam acres for me. Um, he's my number five running back, but I think in terms of what the Rams want to do, I like cam acres here and look, cam acres was another guy burst onto the scene as a freshman and you saw the, the power, you know, and, and you saw the speed over a thousand yards, uh, with just you know, just under 200 carries, really set himself apart. Even with Jacques Patrick, the the upperclassman there on the roster um, in 2018 under Willie Taggart, really was lost as a running back. I thought um, you know he 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 wanted to always bounce everything to the outside, wouldn't really see the cutback lanes to the inside. You know, and really that's where it got him into trouble. Teams would string him out and he would still try to bounce it to the outside. Even when he had cutback lanes back to the inside, he, he would ultimately get some help back to the inside. And that's really where daylight was. And he was still looking to the outside. I don't really know what happened there, but um, ultimately it just, it, it didn't work out. Um, returned to form though in 2019. He was running with more confidence, more decisiveness with his running. Again, over you know 1,100 yards this time, 14 touchdowns, thir- uh, 30 receptions as well with four touchdowns um, through the air. So really more of a confident runner. Over 2,800 yards, 27 touchdowns on the ground, 69 receptions and seven touchdowns in the passing game. Um, I think he's a versatile weapon, um, has that power to go along with with the speed. Uh, showed up at the combine, ran a 4'4", 740, 5'10", 217 pounds. Yeah, go ahead and, and pencil him in there with the Rams. Again, I think Edwards Alaire could potentially go to the Rams, um, but I think he's ultimately going to fall to round number three. I think that 4'640 at the combine might scare some teams away a little bit. And I'm actually looking at the Cardinals in round three, and the Cardinals have Kenyon Drake. And then you know, Kenyon Drake is that speedster, 
but I think they need some some thunder to that lightning. And I'm looking at AJ Dillon. And if you're looking for a guy, and this is a copycat league, league you know, teams are going to be looking to try to find their next Derrick Henry, and I think it's going to be that AJ Dillon could very well be that guy. Six foot, two hundred and forty-seven pounds. Everyone was talking about, hey, this guy's going to break, you know. 4-4, you know, run some incredible numbers. Look, still at six foot and two forty-seven, he ran a four-five three forty, and showcased a forty-one inch vertical leap. So lower body explosiveness there with this guy is absolutely, absolutely there. What he was able to do at Boston College, again, burst onto the scene as a true freshman and was just ridiculous. Over fifteen hundred yards on the ground, fourteen touchdowns, uh, three straight seasons over a uh, thousand yards. In twenty eighteen, he was really bothered quite a bit by a high ankle sprain played in just 10 games, still over 1100 yards uh, was a workhorse for the Eagles uh, in 2019. Despite the fact that he was sharing the backfield with David Bailey over 1600 yards on the ground, 14 touchdowns also had 13 receptions. Wasn't much of a pass catcher in that offense, but really that was more of a, a run uh, oriented offense. You know, some of their receivers were really more, more like they were you know, big, you know, they're more, you know, undersized tight ends more than anything else. They're utilized a lot as tight ends, tight ends, receivers. And one week you'd see him penciled in as a receiver. The next week they'd be a tight end. And so I look at Dylan. He has the power. You know, the big question that a lot of people have was, does he have a burst? I think he has enough of a burst there at the next level um, or at the second level. You know, he has the ability to run you over. He has a powerful stiff arm. He has some lower body explosiveness. Um, which you know tells me that he does have that that cutback ability. You saw that you know time and time again with his game. Um, wasn't all you know he'd run away from guys at times, but he didn't always have that that burst. Uh, I think it was more of the long speed than anything else. But I, I think AJ Dillon and, and Kenyon Drake would complement each other well. I think that'd be a nice fit there in Arizona. Uh, moving on, I mentioned the Lions. I mentioned Clyde Edwards-Helaire. I think this is really um, a match made in heaven. Uh, if I'm Matt Patricia there in Detroit. You know, you've got uh, Daryl Bevel there as the offensive coordinator. Carry on Johnson has some injury concerns. Yes, there's Ty, Ty Johnson on the roster, Bo Scarborough, your bigger wide receiver. I'm sorry, bigger running back, but Clyde Edwards Alaire, look, 5'7, 207, not the biggest guy in the world. Ran a 4640, but look, he, he's quicker than he is fast. He's not going to be a guy that's going to have that game breaking speed. 39 inch vertical leap. And, uh, you know, that, that shows again, the lower body explosiveness. That's really what you want to see out of a lot of these guys. And that's, you know, the, the combine validates that, you know, validated the fact that you saw this guy with his elusiveness in the open field, his ability to cut on a dime. Uh, you saw that even at the, uh, um, the national title game, a play on the sideline and his ability to stop on the ground, you know, stop on a dime there in, uh, along the sideline and show, showcase some really good balance as well. This is a guy, you know, has that look, you know, he's, he's low center of gravity, really built powerfully built five, seven, two Oh seven. You know, this guy's just a big ball of muscle. And yes, he does remind me a lot of Maurice Jones drew and, and a guy who can beat you between the tackles. He has, you know, that burst on the outside can make you miss in the open field, but really where he's going to do a lot of his damage is in the passing game. So yes, he he rushed for 1,400 yards and 16 touchdowns for the LSU Tigers, but uh, he was a main weapon there for uh, Joe Burrow. You know, after um, Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson, who was the number three receiver? It wasn't Thaddeus Moss. It wasn't Terrace Marshall. It was Clyde Edwards-Alaire. 55 receptions for for this running back. You know, and he you know had over 453 yards 
in the passing game as well. To me, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, if Carryon Johnson has issues um, staying healthy, I think Edwards-Alaire is the guy that can come in and end up being a starter there for the Lions. Staying in round number three, I'm looking at Zach Moss out of Utah. And the thing, Zach Moss is one of those guys, if he can stay healthy, he could end up being a steal in round three. But I think some of those injury concerns, um, ran a 4.6540 at the combine. You know, he's 5'9", 223 pounds. Uh, you know, speed isn't going to necessarily be his game. Um, I think he has that power between the tackles, has that stiff arm as well. Uh, a guy who just continues to get better as the game wears on. Um, you saw y- Utah against USC, Zach Moss gets injured, has a shoulder injury, out for the rest of the game. You know, And because of that physicality with the way he runs, he does have to battle some of those injuries. Utah was lost without Zach Moss, and ultimately USC ended up beating Utah. But look, three straight seasons, over 1,000 yards, 1,400 yards in 2019. Um, also has 66 receptions, very soft hands, knows how to score, 38 touchdowns on the ground. Um, very powerful runner, powerful stiff arm. Runs with a low pad level, and I look at where Zach Moss, where I see him going. I look at the Chiefs, and you know the Chiefs. Yes, they have you know Damian Williams played very well at the um, you know in the Super Bowl. You have Darwin Thompson was able to contribute as a, a rookie, but I think what you need is to add that power element. These are guys that are are more athletic guys on the outside. Add that power, Zach. Moss is really going to be that power there for Kansas City. I think that would have added an additional weapon um, to that arsenal there for Patrick Mahomes. And then staying in round number three, uh, a guy who's really on that fringe between the third and fourth round, it's Eno Benjamin out of Arizona State. Reason being is the ball security, another guy who puts the ground ball on the ground way too often. But if I'm the Pittsburgh Steelers, I'm sitting there with um, with James Conner, and then after that, if you're looking you know, behind him, you know this is a guy who started to, to wear down a little bit as the season wore on. And you've got Jalen Samuels, you've got Benny Snell behind him. And, and Jalen Samuels really is, a, is a, more of a fullback, you know, and kind of a fullback tight end, jack-of-all-trades type of a guy. Um, they did bring in Derek Watt to be the fullback there. Um, but Jalen Samuels, you know, he's more of that, that utility guy. And I, I think you need to bring in another running back to compete with Benny Snell for that backup role. And I, I think what Eno Benjamin brings to the table is, are those hands. You know, ran a 4.5740 at the combine, 39 inch vertical leap. I mentioned that three cone drill earlier, ran a 6.97. So he was actually faster than Jonathan Taylor. And, uh, you know, so that shows that he, he's able to sink his hips, get in and out of his breaks really quickly. And uh, a guy who is going to beat you, you know, with his, his lateral cuts. What I really like about Eno Benjamin, he worked with uh, Ladanian Tomlinson and he has this spin move. And it's really hard to tackle a guy who's spinning as he's coming at you. And so a lot of broken tackles. That's one of the things Pro Football Focus had him, you know, noted as one of the top uh, running backs in terms of broken tackles. Um, so, Six, over 1,600 yards as a, a sophomore with 35 receptions. Uh, in 2019, you know, they had a, a freshman come in there at quarterback um, and Jalen Daniels and Arizona State doing things a little bit differently. Um, Eno Benjamin wasn't always showcased as a running back there, um, more of a receiver. Still went over 1,000 yards but had 42 receptions, 82 in his career. I look at him, I look at him, and I look at, at Jalen Samuels, who also offers a lot in the passing game. I think those are your pass catchers to go along with more of the power running game of, of uh, James Conner and uh, Benny Snell. 
So I think that's really where, where Pittsburgh goes in round number three. Looking at round four, I've got four running backs that are that are coming off the board here. I'm looking at Anthony McFarland out of Maryland going to the Jets. I really like this pick there for the Jets, and I, I think fourth round feels about right for that as well. He's 5'8", 208, ran a 4'4", 440 at the Combine. So he's very, you know, he's, he's electric, a guy who can be a game-breaker, um, very elusive in the open field. Um, he's a redshirt sophomore. And, uh, you know, over a thousand yards as a true, as a, a Richard freshman and, uh, shared the backfield with Javon Leak, And, uh, so just 614 yards on the ground, but I, I really like his, his shiftiness. I like his ability to be a game breaker. And, uh, when you look at the jets, obviously you have Le'Veon Bell and Le'Veon Bell is going to be your workhorse. We know this. But, uh, you know, they had Elijah McGuire as a backup, who was kind of the guy that was going to catch the football out of the backfield. Now you have Trenton Cannon, Kenneth Dixon, Josh Adams on the roster. I think you need to find another running back. And I, I think this could be a guy that can come in there, be that a compliment to uh, Le'Veon Bell and be a guy that can be a weapon in the passing game. Low, he wasn't really featured in the passing game for Maryland. Um, I, I like his his elusiveness, his shiftiness, and he's a guy that I think he was probably going to end up being a better pro than he was a, a college player. You know, and you know, obviously that's just my opinion. Um, Colts mentioned the running game earlier, and I'm looking at the Colts here in round number four, and uh, Marlon Mack is your starter. Behind him, you've got Naeem Hines, who's kind of the pass catcher. Um, and then you've got Jordan Jordan Wilkins, who's going to kind of be your power back. But um, you know, when I look at, at Indy, if Marlon Mack can stay healthy, obviously he's going to, he'll probably end up being the bell cow for them at the running back position. But you know, when you talk about Marlon Mack, um, he's going to be a uh, an unrestricted free agent at the end of the season. So is he going to be a guy that they can resign? Is he going to ask for too much money? That's going to be a big concern. And I'm looking at a guy who, when he declared for the draft, I remember saying in my podcast, I hope he doesn't, he does something at the combine to really set himself apart because I think he's a, a dynamic running back. And I didn't want to see him get lost in the shuffle. And that's Darrington Evans, 5'11, 203, out of Appalachian State, shows up, runs a 4'4, 140. Showcases a 37-inch vertical leap as well, but that 4-4-1-40, second fastest only to Jonathan Taylor. You know, and so that really kind of set him apart. I think people really took notice and wanted to go back and watch some more film of Darrington Evans. And when you put put the game film on, you're going to see a running back who was very explosive, a guy that can make make plays out in the open field, can run away from you, um, you know, can be a weapon in the passing game as well. Um, you know, if you look at, at Evans and his numbers, back-to-back thousand-yard seasons. Um, 1,400 yards in 2019, you know, a guy who just continued to get better as a pass catcher as well, 39 pass, uh, receptions in his career, and uh, a guy who also returned uh, three kickoff uh, returns for touchdown. So, you know, he can be a, a dynamic playmaker there in the kicking game for uh, for Indy. And when you look at them, you know, the kick return, they have Naeem Hines, um as a kick returner, but Zach Pascal was kind of used as a as another kick returner. He's more of a big physical receiver. I think you get another running back in there to, to feature with Naeem Hines. I think that makes a ton of sense for them. And round four would be a nice get. I think he's one of those sleepers in the draft. Raiders, I think they're also going to look for a sleeper in the running back uh, position. I see them taking uh, Keyshawn Vaughn out, out of Vanderbilt. 
And, you know, you have Josh Jacobs there as obviously he's going to be your, your bell cow. Jalen Richard showed that he can be uh, a complimentary back, you know, was one of their leaders in, in receptions. Um, but what I like about Keyshawn Vaughn is the explosiveness. You know, he, he was one of those guys, he, he transferred in to, to Vanderbilt from uh, Illinois. And as a junior, you just saw, you know, a guy that, he has he's he plays faster than, um, you know, with it with the pads on and when the lights are bright than uh, what he ran at the combine. At the combine he ran a four five one and I swear this guy was going to run much faster than that. he's five ten, two hundred fourteen pounds. You know when the lights are on this guy's ready to go. Back to back thousand yard seasons for the Vanderbilt Commodores. Um, also sixty six receptions in his career. He, he's very explosive. Uh, Twenty one touchdowns in the two seasons there. Um, at Vandy, and to me, you put him in there in that offense, um, and I could see him ultimately shining there as a backup to Josh Jacobs going forward. Um, and he just he feels like one of those guys. He, he feels like a Mike Mayock type of guy, a guy that's going to be one of those sleepers, kind of flying under the radar, can be versatile and uh, has some explosiveness to him. I like Keyshawn Vaughn to the Raiders in round four, and then the last guy, uh, another guy who I think could be a pass catcher. Um, and I thought the hands, you really saw that, especially down the stretch for the Florida Gators. LaMichael Pirine, I think he's another guy who can be um, a fourth-round receive, you know, fourth round running back. You know, I had him kind of teetering between the fourth and fifth round, but I'm looking at the Philadelphia Eagles for LaMichael Pirine, and here's why. You know, when you look at Philly, they have Miles Sanders, obviously um, tremendous year as a second round pick a season ago. Um, but this was a team, they were loaded with all these different running backs. You had Danielle Pumphrey on the roster. You had Corey Clement on the roster. There were a lot of guys just loaded up at, at the running back position. And most of those guys are gone. You know, the backup now is Boston Scott. You have Elijah Holyfield there as well. I think you need another running back. I think the Eagles are going to look for running back at some point. And what you're getting out of Michael P. Ryan, again, is a guy who, um, you know, he's not the most explosive running back, you know, and you saw that at, at the combine, ran a 4 6 but he did put up 225, 22 times, has some power to him, didn't run a 7 one uh, three-cone drill, you know, not the most explosive, but, you know, a guy who has some lateral quickness to him. And, uh, what you're getting with Pirine, though, is a guy, look, 72 receptions in his career, including 40 this past season. You know, he was a guy, you know, when Felipe Franks went down and you had Kyle Trask, you know, I thought Kyle Pitts, the tight end, and LaMichael Pirine were his, you know, his security blankets. You know, those were the guys that he was really looking for. Van Jefferson at, you know, was the leader at receiver, but I thought those were the two guys. Kyle Pitts is going to be a guy that could be talked about as a potential first-round pick at tight end in, ne- in next year's draft. But Pirine... Um, you know, look, um, shared the backfield throughout his career. You know, you had Jordan Scarlett there in the backfield with him as well, uh, for much of his time there, uh, in Gainesville, just 493 carries in his career. Um, 2,400 yards, still found the end zone 22 times, but it's the, the pass catching ability that I think, you know, the versatility. And I think that's ultimately what gets him drafted there, uh, in the fourth round. Uh, but we're not done. You know, I'm still looking. There's a lot of other running backs that we have on on this uh, on this group that we need to talk about. I think Salvan Ahmed out of uh, out of Washington. I thought he was going to run a faster forty time. Let's be honest. Ran a four six two, five eleven, one hundred ninety seven pounds. This was a guy who was ver- a versatile weapon for uh, the Washington Huskies. 
Um, a guy who played behind Miles Gaskin and really got a, got a chance to showcase himself in 2019. Just, let's see, just under 1,000 yards in his first two seasons there with the Huskies. Goes over 1,000 yards with just 188 carries, 11 touchdowns. Look, 50 receptions in his career as well. A guy that I think you can you know line up in the slot, even split out if you need to. Um, and I, I think he's the guy that the Saints need to find another running back um, to go with with Alvin Kamara and, and Latavius Murray, I think you need to add another receiver there, a guy that can be that pass catcher out of the backfield. And frankly, I think Salvin Ahmed could be that guy. Moving on to round number six, the Cincinnati Bengals. I, I think the Bengals, you know, ultimately, you know, you've got Joe Mixon, you do have uh, Giovanni Bernard still on the roster. Uh, Travion Williams was a fifth round pick from a season ago. You also have Rodney Anderson in the backfield as well, but I think you need to add um, a running back to the mix. You know, really figure out what you're going to do there, what you really have um, in terms of that pecking order there in the backfield. And um, you know, when you're looking at this running back group, Gio Bernard signed through the 2021 season. Um, but Joe Mixon is going to be free agent at the end of the year. So you want to make sure that in the event he does leave, that uh, you are addressing that running back position at some point in this year's draft. And I'm looking at Mike Warren, nicknamed the truck there at, at Cincinnati. And that's really, that was his game. He was running people over, um, you know, really a guy that found the end zone quite a bit. If you turned on that UCLA game um, as a sophomore, this was a guy, he would not be denied. I mean, every time he put him, lined him up in the goal line, he was running people over to get into the end zone. That's a, that's really what Cincinnati does not have. They don't have a guy that you can plug in in short yardage situations. Back-to-back 1,000-yard seasons, back-to-back really over 1,200 yards in each of those seasons, um, you know, 34 touchdowns in his career, but also 51 receptions. Showed his ability to catch the football out of the backfield for the Bearcats. I really like this pick, and I think he's a guy that can ultimately, you know, he can potentially beat out, um, you know, Rodney Anderson and uh, potentially Travion Williams um, for a roster spot. I, I think, you know, Mike Warren, look, 5'9, 226 pounds, you know, big, physical, lower body strength, low pad level, uh, low center of gravity, you know, in his running style. I like the truck there to Cincinnati in round number six. Staying in round six, Cleveland Browns. You know, I, I think this is a, you know, I'm, I'm looking for some of those versatile weapons. You know, there are a lot of interesting um, running backs and, and receivers in this year's draft. They have Nick Chubb. They have Kareem Hunt in the backfield. After that, there really isn't a whole lot to speak of. You know, I, I think they're going to go receiver as well because you have Jarvis Landry and Odell Beckham Jr. And then, you know, they've lost some of their guys there in that receiving core. Rashard Higgins is one of those um, that they no longer have on the roster. Things didn't work out with uh, Antonio Callaway. They need run. They need receivers. They need another running back. And uh, how about a guy by the name of Antonio Gibson who can be a little bit of both? And uh, you know, it's it's one of those guys. He's he's fun to watch. You know, look. You know, there's no doubt about that. He's built like a running back. Um, and he has some breakaway speed, but he was a, he excelled at, as a receiver there for for Memphis, along with Demonte Coxey, um, catching passes from Brady White there for the Memphis Tigers. He ran a four three nine forty at the combine, measured in at six foot and two hundred twenty eight pounds. Um, so he sounds like a running back, but man, you know this guy is explosive. You know, a guy that you know is returning kicks for touchdown. Um, a, a guy who was you know running the ball uh, into the end zone as well. You know, and really just had one season. 
there at Memphis where he really was able to showcase everything. 38 receptions, 735 yards, and 8 touchdowns. That equates to 19.3 yards per reception. 33 carries, 369 yards, 11.2 yards per, per carry, 4 touchdowns. And then you get into the kicking game and uh, return, you know, had 23 returns, 28-yard average, and took one to the house, but it wasn't just you know the one touchdown. You know there are a lot of explosive plays in the return game, and so his versatility, his ability to be a receiver and a running back, I think that's really what the Bengals could use in their offense. Could he come off the board sooner? Absolutely. You know I think the question is is where you're going to play him. That's why he may fall, and you know I think the Browns. It just it seems like a perfect fit for me. I think the Bills are going to be looking for a running back as well. You know, you don't have Frank Gore on the roster anymore, and you have the versatility and the elusiveness of Devin Singletary. You do have TJ Yeldon on the roster as well. But I'm looking at a guy out of an FCS school, James Robinson of Illinois State. Uh, this is a guy who was a production machine uh, there for the for the Redbirds. Um, you know, over 4,400 yards on the ground, um, including. 1,917 yards in 2019, uh, 44 touchdowns in his career on the ground, including 18 this past year, and then 58 receptions in his career. You know, a guy who has some soft hands, you know, he's powerfully built, um, and that's one of the things that I think he really saw even in the postseason. Um, 5'9", 219, um, you saw him, you know, with that that power, um, you know, only ran a 4'6", 4'40", so I don't think he has that burst that's going to run by you. Um, but again, the physicality, he's got some big legs is going to run through you and those legs ultimately, you know, deliver some, some lower body explosiveness though, 40 inch vertical leap for a guy, five, nine, 219 pounds, and then runs a seven Oh three, three cone drill. So he has some of that lateral agility. He's going to be quicker than he is fast. And, you know, he has some of that versatility. He can catch the football out of the backfield over 4,400 yards on the ground. Sixth round, I think would be nice value for him. And the Bills, look, you know, you put him in there in in a backfield with Devin Singletary, TJ Yeldon, you know, and I'd be pretty happy if I'm the Bills. You know, we have three running backs coming off the board in round number seven, and then we're done uh, with the podcast. So Jamichael Hasty is a back there with the Bills that I, I think are with the Baylor Bears, uh, a season ago and hasty, you know, he, he's got the elusiveness. Another guy who's going to be quicker than he is fast over 1900 yards on the ground, just under 2000 in his career, 79 receptions, three straight seasons with at least 25 receptions, you know, a guy who shared the backfield. So there isn't a ton of, uh, wear on his legs, just 465 touches in his career with the bears. Um, but a guy, uh, five, nine, two Oh five, and showed up at the combine, ran a 4.5540, 39-inch vertical leap, has some of that lower body strength as well, uh, lower body explosiveness, has some lower, um, has the, the lateral quickness, able to, to make make you miss in the open field, has a, a second burst, a second gear. Um, and Jim Nagy really likes this guy. You know, we had him at the Senior Bowl, really likes Jamichael Hasty, may come off the board sooner, but you know, I, I just I couldn't find a place for him. But I'm looking at Minnesota in, in round number seven. And the reason for that, obviously, you have Dalvin Cook. He's the bell cow. He's what really makes everything work on the ground for the Vikings. But you know, you've got Alexander Madison, and then after that, you know, Amir Abdullah, Michael Boone. You know, a lot of you know 
you know, I, I just think they don't have a guy on the roster that fits Jamichael Hasty, you know, and and his skill set. You might say, well, that's really what you just described, Dalvin Cook. Um, I, I don't think so. I think you know, Jamichael Hasty is going to offer something a little bit different, and uh, you know, at least for the guys behind uh, Dalvin Cook. So maybe he is a little bit more like Dalvin Cook, but Madison. Um, you know, there is Amir Abdullah on the roster. So, okay. You know, he is kind of that same type of a running back, but you know, I, I think this is going to be a younger version of Amir Abdullah. Michael Boone's more of a physical runner. I think you could potentially be talking about this guy as your number three running back behind Cook and, and Madison when it's all said and done. Um, staying, uh, let's see, we're actually going to move on to the AFC North. Um, AFC South, excuse me, and we're going to take a look at, at Joshua Kelly out of UCLA. Back-to-back, 1,000-yard seasons for the Bruins. And Joshua Kelly, look, you know, he was a transfer, uh, came in from an FCS school there in, in California, 2,300 yards on the ground for the Bruins, 24 touchdowns, also had 38 receptions. This guy is more of a one-cut-and-go type of a guy. Um, he's not going to be all that elusive in the open field, but you know, a guy who I think can make you – He'll run you over, can make you miss, kind of an upright runner, going to go downhill. Um, still ran, managed to run a 4 4 9 um, Had that 6 9 5 three-cone drill. You know, not the mo- you know, only a 31-inch vertical leap, but a guy, again, with that 6 9 5 you know, a guy who's going to be quicker than he is fast. Um, and really the surprising thing is, is he ran that 4 4 9 um, you don't see that necessarily, and you don't, you know, he was more of a one-cut-and-go type of a runner. He has more tools in his tool belt and you didn't always see it showcased there for for the Bruins a guy that you know you want to see him um, really put his foot in the ground and get you know allow him to have some of that lateral quickness and I didn't see that all the time at uh, at UCLA and um, I really want to see what what he can do because I think he can end up potentially being a backup for Derrick Henry uh, there in Tennessee uh, Deion, Deion Lewis is gone you know they have David Fluellen uh, Dalen Dawkins in the backfield there. And I just, I think they need to find another running back. They could look for a back sooner in the draft. I mentioned some of those other backs who could be that, that pass catcher, a guy that could be a lot like Deion Lewis. Um, but Joshua Kelly, if they wait till round number seven, I think that could end up being a guy that they could take. And then I mentioned the dolphins were already taking a running back, you know, taking Deandre Swift at the beginning of the draft. I'm looking at end of the draft potentially looking for another back. They're not going to use all of their draft picks. They've got so many draft picks in this year's draft. They're not going to use them all. But if they do at least, you know, decide they want to use another uh, pick on a running back, um, you know, I look at Kalen Balage, kind of underachieved. You have Jordan Howard is going to be your complimentary back to, to DeAndre Swift. Miles Gaston, you know, may or may not, you know, be on the roster. He's going to be one of those guys that's going to kind of be that uh, – on the bubble type of guy. I'm looking at Levante Bellamy. It might be a guy that can end up being on a on a practice squad, develop a little bit more. 5'9", 192, ran a 4540, uh, 39.5 inch vertical leap. Another guy who I think, it, you know, he has a bit of a burst, at least between, you know, between the tackles, able to hit the hole in a hurry, uh, doesn't have that second gear that's going to outrun you. But I think the lateral agility is something that you definitely see with his running style there at Western Michigan. And, uh, you know, was a, a pass catcher there for the Broncos as well. 57 receptions in his career, but uh, over 3,700 yards on the ground. Back-to-back, 1,000-yard seasons, 1,472 yards on the ground, 23 touchdowns. Now, this is a guy who had a nose for the end zone, um, for uh for the Broncos in the Mac 
And uh, I think he's a guy that should be drafted at some point. And, um, you know, trying to figure out where he was going to go. I think seventh round feels about right. And the Dolphins, look, he can end up being their number three running back um, when it's all said and done. So when we're talking running backs, you know, there are going to be some other guys that could potentially get drafted, guys that might be out there. Uh, Darius Jet Anderson, um, really a good pass catcher there for TCU, a guy that has um, – Runs that angle route to perfection. Does a really good job getting open. Ran a 4.640 at the combine, so you worry about things there a little bit. Um, you know, moving down the the, the group here, um, you know, Javon Leak, really another guy just like uh, Anthony McFarland, a, a guy who he, he's a bigger version of him. He's six foot, 215 pounds. Both of the guys squat 450 pounds, similar numbers this past season. I think he has a chance. Sewo Alana Lua out of TCU, 6'3", 232 pounds, ran a 4'6", 640. He's your power guy, the power back of this group. Uh, Scotty Phillips out of Ole Miss, 5'8", 209, ran a 4'5", 640. Um, a guy who could be a pass catcher in, in the open field. And then Patrick Taylor. You know, Memphis has those, those backs that like to catch the football out of the backfield. He's another guy that can do that, 6'1", 217 pounds. He's a guy to keep an eye out for as well. So those are the quarterbacks and running backs. How I see that all shaking out uh, in the draft, the guys who I think will get drafted and some guys that I think can end up being um, – priority free agents when it's all said and done so that's going to be it for this this podcast we're going to go ahead and get another one released um, either tomorrow or the next day we'll talk about the receivers and the tight ends really taking a look at the depth of that wide receiver class and really where we think the tight ends are going to come off the board there won't be a tight end coming off the board in round one how many will be off the board as day two picks and then i think you'll see quite a few tight ends come off the board in day three so Stay tuned. Hope you enjoy the content. We'll go ahead and do this all over again here in the next couple of days. And uh, look, you know, we're going to have some Fast and Furious podcasts. I think I've got another four or five podcasts that I really want to put together, breaking down positions. We'll look at the, the wide receivers and tight ends, as I said. We're going to go ahead and then take a look at the offensive line. Uh, after that, we'll take a look at uh, the defensive line. Uh, the linebackers, and then the secondary to round things out. And then I still have my final mock draft. We'll take a look at that the day before the draft. I'll get that released and out, and uh, we'll see how, how things play out there on April 23rd. So for readyforthedraft.com, this has been the Ready for the Draft podcast. I've been your host, Greg Schutz. Hope you've enjoyed everything. Stay safe, everyone. Uh, and we'll do this all again here in a couple of days. Until then, take care, and I am out of here.